When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Province Force Podcast. Welcome to our White Towel Hockey Podcast. Uh, brought to you by the good folks at Key West Ford. You can visit them at keywestford.com. Largest selection of trucks in BC. They're also BC's number one Mustang dealer. Uh, joined with the A-team this week. Sorry, Ben. Uh, we've got Ed Willis, uh, Patrick Johnson, and a Top line producer Dharma Kwana with us. Hello, gentlemen. Hi. Hey, you know, I think before we get started, we need to find out where Patrick falls out on the whole T Rex going into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, question, which really, really burned up Twitter there for a couple of days yeah, afterwards. Yeah, the numbers. We Ed and I did talk Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, <laughs> last week. Kind of tried to tie it towards Canucks and Hall of Fame discussion, but we'll leave that for the end. We are going to talk All Star Games a little bit. Uh, talk about the Canucks, obviously their representation at the All Star Game. We'll talk a little bit about uh, where the Canucks will go once they get back from this extended break, and we'll also talk uh, about our Canucks and 50 series as we go through the 90s here. Some interesting stuff coming up. So uh, let's start with the All-Star Game. I know in, in our, um, we do these videos, if you haven't happened to see them, Ed and I talked to All-Star Game in one we recorded today. Patrick, I'll ask you, uh, what does it mean for the three Canucks that are going to the All-Star Game to be there? I think it's a very cool recognition for all of them. Uh, Pedersen obviously is a, is a known quantity around the league, but you know Quinn Hughes, it's it, it's strange to say, but I feel like it's still flying a bit under the radar, partly just because, you know, I don't know if people know what to make of him. And, of course, we're seeing this ongoing debate right now about him versus Kale McCarr. And, uh, you know, the the fact that I, I think the point that people are missing is, that, like, Quinn Hughes has been playing against the other team's top pairing for quite a long time now, which is such a statement about a young def- defenseman. Um, and the skating. I mean, we always talk about the skating, and I think, you know, this is such a venue for him to be able to show that off. I, I, I've, I have a feeling that this is going to be a bit of a coming out party for him. And then, of course, Jacob Markstrom, such an, you know, such an incredible story, uh, you know, such a late bloomer uh, in terms of his actual performance. And, you know, obviously the story this year with his father passing away and him, him still performing through all that. Uh, you know, and, and getting a bit of, you know, like I said, a sort of uh, older recognition uh, of of performance. I think it's I think it's a great story for all three of them. And, you know, obviously it's a great story for who these Vancouver Canucks want to be because these are each guy is a key element in their story going forward. And in, in the cynical world that, uh, you know, the media used to be called cynical, but man, you add social media to it and the, 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 um, the amount of hot takes that have to go on about tearing everything down. You lose sight maybe of the fact that for Quinn Hughes, a kid who grew up around hockey, you've referenced many times his family, what it will mean to rub elbows with the players he's going to rub elbows with this weekend. Yeah, I talked to him a bit about him before the break. And the kid's maturity, his, his, his just his grasp 
of hockey culture and the things that need to be said and the things that needed to be done to get, gain acceptance in a veteran room uh, continues to impress me. And, and you know, I, I preface, I, you know, I asked him, you know, like, are you going to have some of those aha moments when you look and, and realize that, you know, six, seven years ago, I was collecting that guy's hockey card. Now here I am. And he, and he goes, he, he goes, yeah, but he's, but he said, he says to belong, you have to look like you belong. And, wow. just, and it's, again, this is a kid who just turned 20 uh, and he gets it. And, you know, just further to Patrick's point, it, 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 it's it's great for the organization. It, it does. It's a validation. It says so many things about the direction they're going. But I'm just struck about the, the, the difference in all three stories and what they represent because all yes. three are completely different. All three should be taking something a little different out of this experience, out of this game. And I think in all three cases, it's nothing but positive for the player and the organization. Yeah, and I'd like you to give your thoughts on Markstrom a little bit. We did talk about it when we did yeah. video, but this is a guy, the experience you talk about Quinn Hughes at that end of it, you know, Markstrom's been around the NHL for such a long time now, and now he gets to be included amongst the elite. Yeah, this is really his third year as a number one goalie, right? He turned 30, and you look at the journey he was on to, you know, sort of elite prospect to suspect to minor leaguer, third stringer, backup. And now he's now he's established himself as a bona fide number one. Yeah, I, I wrote about this uh, in last Sunday, but there is underlying data which strongly suggests he is a top five goalie in the NHL. And I think going forward, that is the one advantage the Canucks have in their division. I think they've got the best goalie of all those teams clustered around that playoff spot, and I think that will out at the end. But but for Markstrom, I mean, I, again, it's just such a great story, and it's kind of old school, you know, and they used to think mostly the applies to Johnny Bauer that goalies really don't mature until their late twenties, early thirties. But every now and then, in his late thirties, that's right. But you know, along comes this guy, and he does the same thing. I did laugh, uh, Ed, when you acknowledged the fact that you'd put analytics in your yeah. Your well, I had to be I had to be well led done. by the hand and pointed to the site by uh, <laughs> by, by, our, by our good friend Kevin Woodley. But it is uh, such by, it, was, it was such it is such a true statement though. Yeah. I mean, the fact is he is facing hard shots, but he's doing really well in them, and a lot of that is a testament to the work that he's put in with Ian Clark as well. Because you know he was a player, I, I think a goalie who had a hard time both setting himself mentally but also physically, mm-hmm. and now he's so much so much of a calmer. You know that's the thing yeah. Kevin always tells me: watch how calm they are, see what they're doing, and certain little things to look for. And he's just been so solid at that yeah and you know i think you're right I, I do think in terms of that weird five group team grouping that they're now in in the pacific that you know obviously mark andre fleury always had the headlines but he's getting on in age and i don't think he's the best yeah, he's having a substandard you know year. and, and yeah. you know the only other competitor might be darcy kemper but darcy kemper who like you know yeah. part of that I mean, story is that the coyotes have been so good defensively uh calgary's helped. been getting some amazing <laughs> yeah, goal riddich, I, stretch, I would though. say riddich before yeah. before darcy yeah. kemper but but yeah but whatever. i mean at Potato, the end of the day yeah. but at the end of the day calgary also can't seem to put it together so we don't talk about him as much, I suppose. <laughs> um, I want to talk to both of you about, uh, obviously, we've talked about Hughes and, and Markstrom a lot this year, but for a guy like Pedersen, going back to the Ulster game, did you, like, did he seem enamored when he came back last year? I think he loved it last year. Yeah, I think he just was kind of really enjoyed the whole experience very much that, oh, yeah, that that hockey card, oh my goodness, who I'm with all these guys, this is amazing. Um, I, I think he really enjoyed it. And I think he's, I think he's excited to do it again this year. I think he, he is a guy that, that, you know, wants to be known, right? He wants to be the guy that's the best. And this is a, this is a statement in his 
for sure in his mind that this is just, yes, you know, like I'm doing well. This is a way for him to sort of grade himself, say, yes, I'm still there. I'm doing better. I'm, I'm going to be leading the charge. I'm now someone that, you know, needs to be there. And if I'm not there, I'm questioning myself. I, I think there was a little bit of that I'm, I'm starstruck thing, but I think there was a larger part of, you know, I belong here. With him, I mean, the kid is nothing if not confident in his in his ability, in a, kind of an understated way, as you'd expect with most Swedes. But uh, yeah, you know, I talked to him about that, and he kind of gave the pro forma answer, and then he said, and then he stopped, and he said, "I got a piece coming later in the week." He said, "You know, I wasn't there to be a fanboy." Yeah. Uh, and I think that very much, and I think it's one of the reasons why, you know, I think it like like the Sedins and how deferential they were when they came in. Same with Marcus, you know, I had a, a lengthy interview with Marcus Naslin yesterday, so so he's front of mind. This kid comes with a little different mindset, a little different, you know, confidence in himself, a little bit more surety of his place and his talents and, and, and where he can go with this thing. And I think it's a real interesting comparison, just considering the level of Swedish players we've seen in Vancouver because this cat's a different animal. Well, and it also speaks, for instance, uh, to like why you almost don't want to ask him about the, the, the Michigan the goal, you know, especially about pulling it off or whoever's been, you know, whoever's been pulling it off. You almost don't want to ask him at this point because he's mad he hasn't pulled one off. He was going to try. And I mean, I remember when it first became a thing when Hoglander pulled it off and, uh, and, and Svechnikov, whenever that was that in, in, uh, I think it was all way back in November. Mm. And I actually like, you know, Thomas Drans tried to ask him about it. And he basically went, no comment. Like he didn't want to talk about it. And I, I picked up on this. Maybe he just didn't want to talk to Thomas. It's also possible. <laughs> I mean, this, this happened while this, you know, they, they were having this discussion. Do you remember the game where he tried it? Yeah. He tried loading it up. And I, I asked him about it afterwards. I just kind of ran into him when he was done yeah. with TV. And he said, yeah, I was going yeah. for it. I can't remember the game, it, but I do well, remember it was, October, it was yeah. like really quick. And it yeah. was kind of lost. And Can we come up with a name for it though? Like it's I know it's across. It's, it's the, the Michigan. Michigan. Yeah. Michigan makes no sense. Well, that's where no, no, that's yeah. You're gonna have to. Well, you leave the charge. It's the, uh, but it's the Dayton just, Shuffle. But it's I, the yeah, yeah. St. Louis Whirling gig. It's, <laughs> the, it's the T Rex. That's what we're gonna call it. But I, what I was gonna say was, I was I happened to be talking to Brock Besser while this exchange is going on, and so I was able to throw it at Brock. I said, Brock, you know, he doesn't want to talk about it. And Brock goes, Oh yeah. He tried it. He wants. I bet he's pissed. He's pissed. He has to pull it off, and and he still hasn't. And you know that is the kind of thing that in the end he wants to do that because that's what the best players do. And if he hasn't pulled it off yet, well, that's a standard he hasn't met. And that's like making the All Star game. He has to be there. Um, you know, if we look at what's what awaits them this weekend, it's um, you know, those debates about All Star game. And I have to admit, this is Pro Bowl weekend too, yeah. right? So. Uh, I can't get enough of 340 pound men bench pressing. Like I love the NFL combine for that reason, but this, the whole skills part of the, the NFL experience is so much better for me than the actual game. And I think the same for the NHL and we can be jaded about it because when they were still doing a traditional game and there was no defense and it was like 14, 11, people just didn't care about it anymore. But the NHL's landed in a pretty good spot, haven't they? To me, the Friday, and especially with the women's three-on-three, that's way more interesting to me than what's actually going to happen in the game. Well, they've made it back into a spectacle, which is what it should be, because, it's yeah, it's not a game. It's never going to be a game. It, it should be celebrating the fun aspects of, of hockey. You know, it, it is a hard, always been such a hard thing for them to do that because the players are well wearing helmets. It's so hard to see the player personality. Here's a chance for the personalities to shine. You know, going back to the idea of having a, a player draft, that was, you know, a neat innovation. And the fact they haven't stood still, they said, we're going to do this for a little while. Okay, that's not working anymore. We're going to do that. And I think that's that 
definitely has been one of the better things the NHL has done, I would say, in the last decade in terms of figuring out what they want to be. Yeah, I'm encouraged that people have stopped using all-star games as reference points, historical (laughs) reference points. I remember the great game in 2014. It's all just a blur, right? It's all Mardi Gras. But there was a time, right? I remember, like, when I as a kid growing up, it was a big deal. And the first format I remember was the all-star team playing the Stanley Cup champions before the season started. And then it morphed into something else and something else again again and something else beyond that but it was more or less a similar kind of format for for so long and then it and then it wasn't but 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 I am glad and I think that's part of this deconstruction of uh, you know that this has got to be a game this has to mirror the 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 best elements of hockey the speed and the violence and the competitiveness no no it's just a party it's a party and it's a showcase and treated as such it is I, I would say a couple of things have changed today and I agree with you and there was a there was a push for a long time to have bring back that format and have the Stanley yeah. Cup champs play an all-star team but you know, ultimately, I think before you had free agency, the chance to say, oh, I could see Guy Lafleur yeah. play with Brian Trache and Mike Bossy, like that mm. was something you could never imagine happening. Now, you know, with free agency players change teams so much, but also, let's face it, the economics have changed. I love the story about John Garrett. Richard Berdeur is injured, <laughs> so John Garrett takes his place in the All-Star game and is really having a fantastic game and is in line to win a truck or a car or whatever it was. Well, that meant a lot to those players. Now, give them yeah. a car, like really, I don't want to say who cares, but it doesn't really matter. But then, of course, he tells the story of Gretzky having this amazing third period yeah. and stealing the, <laughs> yeah. the vehicle from Those yeah. stories are great. Probably, I've got why well, I'm sorry. Okay, go ahead. I've got an all star story. I've got it. So it's it's, it's it, I think it's it's it, I think it's ninety four or ninety five. It's in New York, and they have this skill competition, and, and, and it, they don't have it anymore. But it's basically a line rush. And it's to show you know, how fast the players move the puck, and and, uh, and it ends up with somebody taking a shot on the goalie. The poor goalie. Well, it's like Al McInnes is in this line rush, and I'm sitting up in the press box, and Neil Smith, the New York Rangers GM, is about four seats down. And they do this line rush, and they leave the puck in the dock. Al McInnes comes in full windup and sends a tracer over top of the net right past Mike Richter's ear. <laughs> I hear this. They say, "Can I do? Can I, Dime? Can I do the bang on the desk just for sound effects?" Then Neil Smith goes, "What the f bomb was that?" Gets up and runs downstairs. <laughs> that was there. That was one of one one of my one of my enduring moments from All Star well, covering All Star games. Hockey hasn't really suffered one of those moments, but you do. You, you know, you think of Robert Edwards, promising rookie for the New England yeah. Patriots, taking part in a right. beach uh, a beach football tournament. Oh, all, Ray, Ray Fossey in the baseball All Star game yeah. gets run over by Pete Rose. Yeah, no, so, I, know. I mean, I understand the tricky part of the weekend, but it's still, I think, you know, I, one of my favorite All-Star stories is just knowing that when they last had it here in 98, prior to the 98 Olympics, first time the NHLers were in the Olympics, they had North America versus the world right. and they had the shootout and Dominic Hasek shut everyone down and... Who knew that the coach mm. of uh, Canada might have <laughs> taken notice of who to play in the shootout and who not to as they, they, they didn't win that weekend. But this, look, this is a weekend for the players, this weekend for the people. I, I did talk with Ed about this before, Ed. I'd like your thoughts on the women because I think that's the one, probably the most competitive part of the weekend is give, finally giving the women this stage. I, I do think it's a great thing that they've they've done this. And again, it's part of that spectacle. It's like, this is what hockey is. This is what we want to highlight. These are things we want to highlight. And you hope that it leads to more because 
women's hockey deserves to be on that stage and there's some really talented players there uh, in their own right and they're hockey players and that's how it should be. I mean, I think back to what I talked to Cammie Granato about last summer when uh, she got hired by Seattle to be a pro scout and she talked about how in the end, you know, she just didn't think we should be talking about women's hockey anymore. We should just be talking about hockey players. And, and this is a case of that. They're saying this, you guys are, you, you women are here and, and you're here on merit and we want to talk about this more. I think it's great. But in fairness, the, that sport has to grow beyond Canada and the US. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, going yeah, into, the, the, we know the Olympics is the big thing, the world championship, the fact that it's so non-competitive beyond those two teams. And in order to grow it, you have to do things like this to get people interested. Yes, that's true. And and, and yeah, and that that's kind of my point is, I mean, here you are, the NHL is the North American league and sure, the NHL draws players from all over the world. But but a North American women's league, there's lots of players available to make that league work. It doesn't have to be a 31-team extravaganza. No. But Look at the WNBA. And yeah. Not that that's profitable yet, but it's certainly made it's, progress. It's got, and it's got a following, and, and you know, there's interest there. And the only way, like you said, the only way you can actually build interest is by actually putting it in front of people, and this is a great way to do that. Um, so let's get out of the – I mean, the Canucks are really fortunate during this All-Star break to be given this time off, their buyer, whatever you want to call it, to have such an extended break, you know, and sandwich with home games as well. But what do we expect from this team when they come back? It's a big push. I mean, it's 33 games. They're – yeah, this is the amazing thing about how tight everything is. So if they had lost their last game, they would have found themselves sitting, I think, fifth in the division, 19th overall. It's, it was a really, really tight – they're in this mix. It's It's – it's great for them um, in relative terms. They're obviously not an elite team, but they're a good team in a mix of teams that are, are similarly uh, challenged and, and able. And I think, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a tough push. I mean, that trip, when they come back, they have the one game at home against yeah. St. Louis, which yeah. is going to be a tough game. And then they go out on this trip, which is a bit of a funky all over the place because they go to San Jose and then they have a long cross country flight. At least they have two days off, or sorry, they have two days where they don't play between games, but then they've got two matinees again on Super Bowl weekend. Um, and then they're in Boston, which, you know, we know the Bruins are one of the league's best. And then they have that trek home via Minnesota. And Minnesota, again, is going to be a test. I mean, we saw them did well against them last week in a back-to-back. They'll be more rested this time around. But it, it, every game counts. It's, it's, it's kind of wild. It's, it's really great, you know, from both our storytelling aspect, but also for the players because they do get more amped up for it. It is more exciting. Um, you know, you think about some of the games of rec- or some, some yeah. recent seasons, you know, you know, 20 games of just dog hockey. And we're not going to be looking at that. And that, to me, is more than anything the most exciting thing about what's to come. Yeah, my, my favorite quote from this season came from Joel Quenville, and he said, yeah, there's a playoff race in the NHL. It starts in October and ends in April. And I think that is so true of the, the Canucks especially. And, you know, they, obviously they're they're moving on to a, a a different test area now. They're going to be examined a lot more closely, a lot a lot more stringently. Uh, the one thing I, I think really since since mid December in that loss in Montreal, I think they've identified a formula. Uh, and, and and an identity, and, and I th- I think it's it's as simple as this. It's like we've got a really good goalie, we've got a good power play, we have some depth scoring, and we like to play a fast game. Uh, they still allow a few too many scoring chances for for my liking. It seems they have trouble defending. Although in their last two games, I thought they'd really made strides. Uh, that, that that game against Arizona, the last ten minutes in the third period, that that impressed me because I thought they shut down the Coyotes when when, when they abs- absolutely had. To. So they have that going forward. They know who they are. 
They know the way they have to play, so just go out and do it now. And I, I think that's important in the evolution of a team when you're searching for those kinds of things. And, you know, they've they've had a couple of, uh, this hasn't been a bad year in terms of their road trips and the pressure that's been, up, been put on them. When we talk about them having a long break here, I, I look at February as being key because they do have that long uh, trip to start, as Patrick talked about. Then they have... You know, the big, basically a two-week homestand in the middle where the only team of significance that they're playing that's sort of relevant to their chase is Calgary. Um, and then they go back out on the road for an eastern swing. And then if you look at March, if they get through February in good shape, almost even tread water, you know, they've got so many home games. And you talk about Arizona, a couple of massive games against Arizona there. I mean, if this team can get through February, things would appear, as long as injuries don't factor into it, to set them up well in a March. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so, and I, and I think that's kind of a, a part of the one one of the uh, developments that have really emerged this year. To me, the the, the Canucks' performance has been such a function of their schedule. When they've been up against it tight as they were, in, you know, they they hit the skids, you know, and then they had that that home stand where they where they won seven in a row, and then they you know they go out in the road. Well, they lose, they lose, uh, they they or I'm sorry, they win two out of five. And then they come back. They come back home, and 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 they write the ship again. So yeah, again, and, and I I agree with your take. It isn't that so much that they gain ground uh, in February. It's just that they hold their position or stay there thereabouts because then the schedule swings back into their favor favor in March. And if you look in the big picture, and I've said this more than once, so people may be tired of me saying this, but they have thirty three games left. And if you figure that you know they have fifty eight points, they need roughly ninety four. That means. 36 more points, which means 18 wins. 18 wins in is 33 that, games. Is that analytics or math? <laughs> it's <laughs> math. But I mean, that's all. I mean, and that's basically the pace they've been playing on all season, which yeah. is, which to me is the biggest, strongest point in their favor in terms of how well Travis Green has figured this lineup. Yeah. And up. in terms of their identity, the other yeah. thing is they've really established a presence on home ice mm-hmm. here. And, and, and I think that goes, oh, I think that's in the building yeah, too. No, uh, yeah, 100%. And that, I think that becomes self fulfilling when you have that confidence, when you have the you got start to get a little swagger about your game on home ice and and it'd be remiss and you know Patrick touched on it you, you think of the way the last four seasons have gone uh with the exception of that 10 days when we celebrated the Sedin's retirement right like, it, it, it it it's it's just been depressing to be in that building to have to sit and watch games to sit there and watch them lose 2-1 3-1 knowing they don't they didn't really have a hope in hell of being competitive most nights and, and and now they flipped the script there, and there is a reason to show up. And I, I'm really happy for hockey fans in Vancouver who've stuck with them. And I know that's cliched and horrid and all those things. But I never got the sense that people turned this team off completely. They were just waiting for a reason when they've got a reason now. So, all right, well, part of the reason, let's get into it, part of the reason that the Canucks maybe did struggle the last part of the seasons is we've referenced analytics. Now we can check off the other millennial box of load management. Um, but we it, well documented how this team's young key players struggled down the stretch the last couple of years. What do you see out of Besser, Pedersen, and certainly Quinn Hughes as we get in the last part of the season? Is there any risk that they're going to struggle with us? I, I think it is a fair question for Hughes, and it's just because it's, we've seen it Two years in a row, we saw it happen with Besser. We saw it happen with Pedersen. The, just the, the volume of games, the lack of sort of rest, the lack of ability to recover, 
you know, as the games pile up, as the season goes along, it's it's, it's a little bit like the old line from uh, from the wire where uh, Prez is asked, you know, <clears throat> who wins a football game, and he says, "Well, nobody wins a football game. One team just loses more slowly." And it's a bit like that, right? You're in a race against the whole season. You're trying to keep yourself fit, but inevitably you're going to run out of steam. You're just trying to make sure that it doesn't happen too soon. Um, I think you know Besser because he has experience, he knows about it. You know he. He's going to keep it going. I think Pedersen is very much front of mind for him. He and I have talked a bit about it in last year. And, you know, he doesn't like talking about his failures, but he does acknowledge the fact that he became a tough a tough chore last year. This is more games over an extended period. Of, I mean, they've played long seasons, but they never played this many games over that amount of time. And so Pet- so Hughes, in the end, it's going to be a challenge for him because every other level he's ever played at, you play, you know, basically the number of games he's played now. Um, and it's, all of a sudden he has half a season left to go. Yeah, so. and you know, further to that, I think the one single biggest difference between this lineup and last year's lineup is is Quinn Hughes. Yes, 100%. Um, you know, and you can make a case, well, you know, like Markstrom was pretty good last year. Yep. He's just maybe taking another step. Same with Pedersen, taking another yep. step. I throw JT Miller into that into that that mix as well, but you know, he had a bit of a track record before he showed up. He's having he's on track for career best. Hughes is just this thing that dropped out of the sky into their lineup and has just given them something they have never really had in their 50 years, you know, an offensive driving defenseman. And the fact that this kid at 20 can run an NHL, not only run an NHL power play, run a productive NHL power play, a top five power play, is just mind-blowing to me. Um, To me, he's gotten better here in about the last two, three weeks, but there is, there's always a question with that rookie. How are they going to stand up to the rigor? How are they going to stand up to the demands and when the game, when things are amped? up and the intensity and the physicality and all those things. I think he's handled it brilliantly so far, but it is so crucial to this Canucks team that he maintains that level of play. He's got a lot to play for. Well, and isn't this where the acquisitions of, of Miller and Myers should really pay off? Theoretically, yeah. I, yeah. I think Tanner other, Pearson, well, I, I think, think you throw yeah. him into that I think that it's mix. also, it is a sort of uh, what else he lets you do. And the fact he said he is running the first unit power play means that you don't have to lean on Alex Edler as much. And and that certainly was a question mark with Edler when they re-signed him. Would he actually be able to stay healthy? Would he be able to be a, a, you know, a long-standing contributor to the lineup? And so far he has been. And partly it's because they don't have to lean on him as much. Um, and that was, a, that was an issue for all you know, four previous editions of this team is that they kept trying to strain. And the more you play at 100%, the more you're opening yourself up to risk. That's just reality. And, you know, all these guys I've talked to, that's sort of you're chasing the game, you're pushing yourself beyond your limit, you keep doing it, you keep doing it. And so Edler now is in a great spot because of Quinn Hughes. They've got this really solid defensive defenseman who can still move the puck, by the way. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it just lets them do other things. And you're right, adding Myers is a, you know, he's he's not a perfect defenseman, but he's an upgrade on he's what they He's a minute had, eater. You know, yeah. and he's a, He's an upgrade on what they had before. Um, it, it just lets them do other stuff that that they haven't been able to do before. And absolutely, Tanner Pearson, great addition, great fit with Bo Horvat. That that much is clear. And then JT Miller, you know, heavy price price to pay for him, but the guy has been a perfect fit as well. Um, Ed, we were talking earlier, and, and something that's I don't want to say underreported, but maybe not getting the splash it would have been past seasons. Jake Furtanen's turned into yeah. a little bit of a player that they maybe would have been looking for at the trade deadline had he not developed this way. Well, when I when I looked at this team back November December, I thought they were still a player and a player and a half short. And you know, my theory at the time was, well, those two players should be Jake Furtanen and Ole Levy, right? Given where they were drafted. Well, if Furtanen actually is close to that player, and it seems to me he's 
you know, showing signs that he is. That huge development for this team. It gives them another top six forward, and it was kind of that, you know, the bottom end of the top six, but that was the real weakness that I think most of us saw in this team, that once you got past, you know, the the front end forwards, it was just too much of a drop-off. Now, all of a sudden, it's got a little different feel and shape shape to it, you know, and Green can play around. He's, he's put Vertanen up with the first line, drop Besser down to the third. Besser still gets his power play minutes. I'd like to see him continue to produce in that role because they've, they've been striving for this balance. Um, and, and I think Green has referenced it several times, you know, trying to get three lines that can score consistently. And that makes them so hard to defend against. So we'll see where this goes. But again, that's another massive development for the organization. I just saw Rutanen making plays with the puck in those last two games he wasn't making before. I mean, he was all kind of like speed and wrist shot and no kind of, you know, no, no kind of finality, no kind of, no, no kind of a bottom line to his game. But, you know, that pass he made to JT Miller. Uh, 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 on the two-on-one that, you know, kind of goal that ices it against San Jose. He also made a little move where, you know, he tucked the puck inside the stick and kind of drove wide on a defenseman and beat him to the outside that really the real good forwards in the league make consistently. So, again, it's an- another thing he's got a ton to play for, and he, I know he hasn't proved all the skeptics wrong, but I think he's changing some minds. He's certainly done enough to earn himself a raise. I think that much is clear. Yeah. I mean, he's having he's having a good year just when he needed to do it. And there's still things you want to see him do, but you're totally right. The playmaking aspect has been a nice nice thing to discover he he showed glimpses of it last year but to really hit it home the way he is this year is is a great thing for all all people well i don't think i have the energy to talk about all these players who would earn raises in the salary cap and our next subject (laughs) and in fact this one exhausts me as well but patrick since you're writing about him i'm just going to say louis erickson go uh yeah i mean it was one of these ones where i was a I was talking, I was on an out-of-town radio show, and they asked me, well, what about Bo Horvat? And I kind of laughed. I said, well, part of the story is Louis Erickson. <laughs> the laugh was kind of notable because even out, out of town, they they know how badly things have gone for Louis here. And obviously being a scratch, I think it was 17 times uh, through the first half until Josh Levo cracked his kneecap. Uh, you know, Louis has had a very nice uh, impact on the lineup, he's he's found himself in a spot with with a couple players who you know who were already going well. I mean, I think Hor- Bo Horvat would tell you that things weren't going so well, and it's not because Louis joined their line, um, but things were not going well. They they'd had struggles, you know that 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 sort of December there was December wasn't a swoon. They they sank in November, but they kind of were starting to sort stuff out in December. But even then, Horvat's line was having a hard time. And uh, you know, I think Bo himself will tell you that he kind of had to sit back and just think about what do I need to do differently? How do I need to kind of get back to the player I need to be? And there, there's almost you know, it, it, it you can say Erickson's return is the story, but I think it's just it's just Bo finding confidence. And so Louis has hitched himself to a shooting star. It's kind of what's going on. But he's been really useful. He's done well. I mean, of course, there was that somewhat hilarious slow-mo video of the empty net goal that he set Pearson up for last week that's received so many uh, uh, you know, ba- follow-on edits with various soundtracks being added to them and uh, the, the majesty of Louis flying after a loose puck, that sort of thing. Um, but, yeah, he's just – he's found a role for him. Uh, he's found a role for himself that's working. And I think, you know, you, could you do better than Louis Harrison? Probably. But at, as things stand, he he's it, it's a role that suits him well. 
Um, he just needs to go to the net. He needs to win the pucks in the corner, and he's doing all that. And and he's all. I mean, he still is a reliable defensive player. There's no doubt about that. So it, it fits what that line is asked to do, and and good on him. It's you know, it's it's funny. I find, I still find it funny how all of a sudden everybody's cheering for Louis. Like he was in the starting lineup, and I don't think that's ever happened before. But somehow he sort of flip, flipped himself into the sympathetic story. People just want uh, him to do well. One of the most surreal moments of this season was when the fans started and chanting I, his and name I looked before at each the other, game. Like, What's going just, on? Yeah, it was, <laughs> and it was unironic no. too. And it was full throated by yeah. the end of the game yeah. too. That was, was the fans. The fans want Louis. Yeah, they, you know, yeah. you know, he's on the biggest salary on the team, and but the fans want him to make it happen. It's 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 kind of wild. Well, I mean, you can see this why... This is in Philadelphia, that's for sure. That's well, I, yeah, no, but you can also see why the media gets tabbed as negative. I did see on Sports Radio a poll question last week. Is Louis Erickson playing well or playing well for Louis Erickson? <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. Um, so let's let's finish up by talking a little Canucks and 50. Uh, again, thanks to our sponsors for this project, keywestford.com. Um, number one Mustang dealer in Western Canada. Largest selection in BC... Gentlemen, the 90s was so funny, and this week um, Ben wrote a short story of 4,000 words on revisiting Capsule uh, of the 1994 Stanley Cup Finals. Patrick, you were a kid during that time. Yes. You were a big Canucks fan. You were in Vancouver. I know Ed was, was covering the was league in Winnipeg. Too. No, he was covering yeah. the league in Winnipeg, though. You were here. What yes. do you remember of the finals in particular? Uh, it was uh, it was it was epic. I mean, it was one of these ones where this was a, you know a team that that – Obviously, had been playing a lot better since the arrival of Pavel Bure, a team that was being taken seriously, and all of a sudden, there here they were. I mean, I still think about that famous Sports Illustrated cover where they asked, "Is this a better sport than basketball?" Which seems a wild thing to ask now, but but that's how exciting just because the Rangers were involved. Well, yeah, that's but but it was right, an exciting, yeah. thrilling final. It was sort of everything you wanted hockey to be. And yeah, it was you were just in, enthralled by it all. I mean, I've I've told this story more than once, but I think it's game was it game five is the crazy six three win for the Canucks in New York. Yeah, and I I was playing baseball. My game, we were playing a game on on the little Carisdale field behind Point Grey High School, and and the the job of whoever was on the bench on either team was to listen to the Walkman and keep everyone updated with what was happening. And it was like, oh oh, Canucks are up. Oh it's three nothing. Oh no, Rangers have scored. Oh. Oh no, not again, guys! It's bad it's, again. And, you know, and all of a sudden it was just, just hilarious. And like, we, I think we played finished the game, but everyone's just going bananas. And it was that to me was such an encapsulation how everybody was so focused on that series and everything was exciting. And of course, Game Seven had the the riot afterwards. But I have this distinct memory of I watched it with some friends, and I was on my way home, um, and my dad had picked me up, and we were, we were driving up, and we come up to the top of the hill and at uh, King Ed and Dunbar, and there was a dad with his sons, and they were had just like you know we still love you Canucks or something signs. They'd gone out just to, just to cheer on the side of the road and King Ed and Dunbar and like, like what <laughs> I believe the yeah. parade would have gone right, right past yeah. there it wouldn't I don't know if that was going to be so we had our own parade but anyway it was just I mean I know they didn't win and it's weird to celebrate a team that didn't make it in the end but it was such a fun time it was such a sort of fun two two weeks and fun you know two months of hockey it was it was a, yeah it was a special time I still I still have good memories of that team one of my issues there is and this belies my age it was my 10th high school reunion which we had been planning for months oh wow did not figure into the fact that the Canucks <laughs> would be playing game six at home <laughs> facing elimination on the Saturday night that we yeah. had the reunion oh god and literally four people showed up until the game was over and then <laughs> and then it got married thankfully we'd had a pub night at the unicorn the night before um but it really was it was something that stopped the city in its tracks everyone wanted it I mean 
similar to 82, but different. Ed, we, we have talked about this before, but that team was such a characterization of a Pat Quinn team, was it not? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. And so the funny thing for me is the 92-93 team was, was far superior, in, in my opinion. You know, they were a 101-point team. Uh, they, 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 they took care of a Winnipeg, pretty good Winnipeg Jets team, Timo Solani's rookie year in the first round. They get the LA Kings in the second round, and they should have beaten them, and they, and, and they didn't. And, and so... I believe that the the ninety four team finishes one game over five hundred. Forty two wins though in, in the regular season. Yeah, they're one or two games over. It was hilarious. They yeah, one yeah. Or they so, lost but, game, but but again, you know, Pat yeah. as his want was well, as GM, he makes this you know <laughs> move, and we don't have the time to get into all the machinations of how they end up with Jeff Brown. But that that in fact turns out to be uh, the piece they're missing, and then they right, get they the story. They double they, overtime. Yeah, yeah. Win and then in they Calgary get the, to they get, get the story the come back against Calgary, and yeah. now they're rolling. I, I covered that series for the Winnipeg paper for the Winnipeg Sun, uh, the, the the final, and and it was epic. Um, for my money, probably the best final in 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 NHL history. And I'm, I'm going back. I, I I can't remember. I know there was one in '71 between the Blackhawks and Montreal that that was up there. But but you know, like like each game represented its own story, its mm-hmm, own yes. like you know it's almost like a, you know a seven part mini series. Um, and and each one had its own storylines. You know the 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 first game where Kirk McLean has this unbelievable yeah. performance. And I, I just wonder if it's like a five-game series if they lose that one. Oh, for sure. Yeah, but at the same token, and, and they, they come they home the and they overtime. lose a game where Pavel doesn't play. Well, like, that's I true. So Jay Wells was – I've yes. been scratching my yeah. – yeah, that was <laughs> – yeah, high stick on Jay Wells gets yeah. suspended for a game. And, no, he and, gets kicked out of that game. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah that that's it. And then I can't remember. Yeah, and first and then, period, so right? we go back to game game five in New York. And well, this is it. And yeah. uh, the Raiders went out, and you know they had a bit of a bit of a gathering at one of New York's watering holes, and so we're all sitting there watching this this crazy game five unfold: three nothing, three three, and then Dave Babbage's finest moment as the Canucks. Now we're on our way back to Vancouver. In the meantime. Time this story breaks that that Keenan is interviewing for a job in St. Louis while all this is going on, it, it was it was crazy. And that you know that game six, I I think you can probably make the case. I mean, this is probably a larger conversation, but I still think maybe the best NHL game on Vancouver ice. It's often in, in NHL history. I don't know that or the Stanchion game. I, I I don't know which one, but but that one was special. And then Game Seven, actually Game Seven, almost a, a bit of a denouement. I, I had a um a good chat with Brett Hedekin on the weekend about I'm doing it about the actually the Pavel Bure trade in 99 but he wanted to kind of talk he says I think I should talk about 94 first because mm. of course he got involved in the trade and he had a couple great anecdotes first of all you know that's his rookie season he comes up against um uh, uh the Canucks partway through the season had no idea who they were they just he basically said they ran over us like a bus he's like I had no idea he's like who are these guys and he's like tried to do sort of whatever you know research on whatever he's like I'm going to show these guys how it is Brett also said by the way that that Blues team was not a terribly happy locker room that was not a, a unified group and um he said even from afar he could sense that the Canucks were really united and that kind of thing he's like well you know I want to show these guys that like I'm good and so he's like the next time I'm going to be ready and he said basically he gets out his first shift pretty much he runs over Gino he says he just I, was like, I sort of stopped I said sorry just to be clear you said you 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 
knocked Gino Ojigar. He goes, yeah. And he goes, Gino stood up and then basically started beating the tar out of me because he's just like, holy smokes. And then all of a sudden he's traded to this team. And he said it was just such an amazing group to join because they were so together, such a good group. But then on similar terms, you know, in terms of when we talk about the community feeling, he said, you know, he, I, I, can't, I can't remember which game it was. I think it might even, I think it was actually after they beat the Leafs. He he says, you know, the, he and Nathan Lafayette were driving together. They were up, putting, put up at a hotel downtown and he and, and Lafayette were driving and they just said people like saw them in the car and just started swarming and were just like, yeah, you know, like they weren't like angry. They were just excited and they were just like, holy smokes, this game really, this team really means something. And it was just such a, again, a special time. It was a neat story to hear from a guy that was right in the middle of it. Um, we'll finish up at it. I wanted to ask you because I know like moving on from 94, this is the thing with the decade. Uh, you, you mentioned Mike Keenan. When you looked at 82 and um, people assumed the Canucks were on to bigger and better things and they didn't, they crashed and burned. And then rebuilding back up to 94 and you assume the Canucks were on to bigger and better things and signing McGillney, you look at how quickly it then went sour for Pat and you look at how Keenan comes in and you look at those characters who left this franchise. Now, Marcus Nasline was one of the ones who came in basically for that wreckage and then built them back up. You recently had a talk with with Marcus for for uh, one of these uh, episodes that you have coming up next week. Just, you know, it's it's crazy how quickly that Canucks era changed. Yeah, only the Vancouver Canucks could add Alexander McGillney and Mark Messier to their lineup and get not only worse, but, but have the <laughs> bottom fall out of the franchise. And it, it's crazy, the events, and, and I'm going back over it, and I was kind of like I was in Montreal doing a freelance thing for, for a year, and then I, my first year here was 98-99. So I, I, when I arrived, there was still just like the black cloud from the tire fire hanging over the city. So Keenan was the coach. They've just hired Brian. Burke as the general manager, and we can all see where that's going. Yeah. But the year before, uh, Keenan somehow gets, he, he and Steve Tambellini are co-GMs, but Keenan's making all the player personnel decisions. He made 11 trades from the end of January to March, and these weren't like small trades. He's moving out Trevor Linden, he's moving out Marty Jelena, he's moving out Kirk McLean and Gino, like these people who really associated you know, w- w- with this franchise. And Marcus arrives kind of, uh, he arrived the year before, but he quickly emerged, it's quickly clear to him that he's not really in Keenan's plans, and Keenan goes to great lengths to reinforce that point. So he's really on the verge of asking for another trade out of Vancouver, and Berge says, don't worry, uh, you're going to be here a lot longer than the head coach. <laughs> and that kind of calms, <laughs> calms him down. But he's in the middle of all of all this, while all the you know players are coming out, and the captain's going in, and Messier's in, and, and, they're, and they, they finish last in the, in, in, in the division with this team, with all these superstars. It's just a remarkable, remarkable period in, in Canucks history. Yeah, well, I'd love to keep going on, but... Uh, Which is saying something, I think, no, as we've established. Yeah. Um, but uh, we've run out of time here. So thanks, Patrick. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, Storm. Uh, we will be back next week to bring you another pod. You can subscribe to us through Apple Podcasts and uh, continue to watch our videos, read our stories every week. Thanks, folks.